Welcome to this, uh, the fifth installment of the Teaching Gospel Revolution Seminar. And to really get the most out of it, even though every teaching is a standalone that will work for you and will touch you and will help you and encourage you and strengthen you. Uh, do listen to the previous four. Uh, it's called a gospel revolution because we need more than revival, more than the renewal, more than a refreshing. We need something radical that changes the way we look at the gospel, that which we think we know so much about. And, and, and we think the gospel, some people think it's a music style. Some people think it's just uh, everybody knows the gospel. And yet I have submitted that it has been forgotten. It's got second, third, and fourth billing. And we say we got to bring it back because it is the power. It is the weapon that we have of spiritual warfare. That's, it's the gospel. Every city that was conquered in the book of Acts was conquered by the gospel. And, and that's how, how churches were planted, by the gospel. Other things, prayer, worship, uh, all those things, intercession, gifts of the Spirit, all had a role to play, but it was the gospel that, that it conquered places and it went out. And, and so it, it's so very important. And so when we talked about the gospel, just a little quick recap, we said that one of the ways to describe it is it is the message of the new and better covenant. New and better means, uh, or new and living covenant means that there is an old and dead covenant that's over, that's become uh, obsolete. And when we talked about that we have to choose. The old covenant is not just a picture of the Jewish religion and what they did and the Old Testament scriptures. It is a picture of all religion, which is based on what we can do. Uh, what you must do to please a supposed displeased deity. While the gospel, the new and better covenant is about what Christ has done as humanity's representative and how we have full access and full favor with God through what Jesus Christ has done. So in the gospel, there is no bragging. There's no boasting. No, it says in the King James, no flesh will glory in the gospel because all the praise goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. So now this far into our seminar, I say it's time to choose. Now most Christians will say, well, I, I don't want to be like an old covenant Christian. I'm in the new covenant. I believe in Jesus Christ. Of course I do. That's, that goes without saying. But here is the problem. Many people, I used to be one of them for a season in my life many years ago, they have one foot in the old covenant, one foot in the new covenant. They go back and forth, back and forth. What I mean with this is that one week they preach from Mount Sinai, so to speak, what we must do to please God. Next week they preach from Mount Golgotha, what Jesus has done for us. And they go back and forth and they think this is some kind of a balance. It's not balance, it is confusion. And so we need to move, move both our feet into the new and better covenant. And so a lot of the teachings in the New Testament is about this. You know, there's a lot of twos in the New Testament. There's, there were two, or in the Old Testament as well, there were two trees in the garden. There was the tree of life, which is a picture of Jesus who is our life, and a, a tree of, of 
the knowledge of good and evil, which is a picture of religion and the law. And there was always two ways. There was Abraham by faith, or there was Lot by his own striving. There is David who relied on God's grace, and there is Saul, the king, who tried to get things done by his own initiative. There's always these two. There is the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, and the, or the two sons, the older brother who's talking about what he has done. I never broke the commandments. I, I, I. And it's the younger brother who receives the hugs and kisses of the father. And so let's go right now to the book of Galatians. Galatians is like a firebrand speech. Paul is fired up here. Now, you might say in the book of Romans, in the epistle to the Romans, he, he, he does a more systematic uh, theological study. But in Galatians, he's stirred up. He, he says to people, you, you become bewitched. You've forgotten Christ. What happened to you? And, and, and some of the ones who were advocating for circumcision, he says, cut it all off. He's really going off the, some would say the deep end, but he's really following in Jesus' footsteps. He's using some shock therapy. I mean, Jesus said, if you want to go the old way, if you want to do things the way of religion, well, then if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. So, so Paul is not doing any more than Jesus has said. He's referring just to a, a different body part. But he's saying, if that's the way you want to go, then go all the way. If you think that you're going to please God, that you have to, that, that it is your effort, then, then go all the way. I'm so glad we don't have to do that. And obviously the disciples understood this. They understood Jesus. Because we don't have a maiming conference in the book of Acts where they cut off body parts. So they understood Jesus was merely giving them a very dramatic teaching to help them to remember that it is not by our own effort, our own works, but it is by the grace of God. And so, and so I say to people who say, well, you know, I'm so glad we don't have to cut, take out our eye. Anytime we saw something wrong, we would all be blind. Cut off your hands, cut off your feet, cut off everything. No, these were shocking statements to cause us to run to God's grace. So we have a choice to make. Which way are you going to have it? And in Galatians, when we get into chapter 4, you can see this clearly outlined. He's speaking here of Abraham as the example. And it says in Galatians 4.22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. Now the bondwoman here is speaking of religion, the bondage that the Jewish people were under in the law of Moses having constant demands to live up to a certain standard and constantly failing, no matter who, how hard they tried, no matter how they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps, they were under that bondwoman, that slave woman. So it says there's two women, two sons. And it says, By the, but the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. This is symbolic, very important. Symbolic. I, I, Paul is giving us an illustration, symbolism, to help us understand the gospel. And he says, speaking for these two women, they are two covenants. 
one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She's Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai, quite a woman. I mean, Hagar is like a mountain in Arabia, Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem. For she, present-day Jerusalem, is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. Did you see here two sons? That's referring to Isaac and Ishmael. Remember, this is symbolic. Two women, that is Hagar. She is the bondwoman representing religion, what we call Christless religion. Religion based on human effort. The second woman representing the other covenant is the gospel covenant, the new covenant that's Sarah. Sarah represents God's grace. And, and, and these represent two covenants and they represent two Jerusalems. There is the Jerusalem that is down here. Maybe you have visited there. Maybe you've been there. Well, Paul says Jerusalem that is down here is still in religious bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And he says here that we have as our mother the Jerusalem above. So you have these parallels of two. You have on the one side, you have the old religious system, which brings people into slavery, tells them you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. And if you don't do this, then you'll fail. And people are struggling all the time. And they become enslaved in their religion. They just fulfill their religious duties out of a sense of, I have to do it, I have to do it, or God will be angry with me. But on the other side, you have the new covenant. You have this new and better covenant. You have Sarah, God's grace. And so in the old covenant, then it's what we can produce. And so it goes back to how Ishmael was born. Ishmael was the son produced by the sexual union between Abraham and Hagar. I suppose Abraham, the story is well known. I don't have to elaborate it on it. He said, well, you know, I don't see any son being born to Sarah. I don't see her becoming pregnant. So we've got to do something. We've got to take matters in our own hand. That, that's religion. That's the flesh. We take matters in our own hand. And so they had a child. And actually Sarah was in agreement, you know. She was saying, well, I don't see much happening. And so that is, is God loved Ishmael, by the way. You know, God gave, sent an angel to bless Hagar and Ishmael. God provided for them. So this is not about different nationalities. Some people have erroneously used this to speak critically of the Arab community. Don't do that. It's, it, it says right here, it's symbolic. There's neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ. So don't, don't go down that road. I hope if you listen to the previous installments in this teaching, you know that's not the road we're going down here. This is symbolic. But Hagar represents this self-effort. But Sarah represents what only God can do. Because it says when Sarah's body was dead, when Abraham's body was dead, all hope was gone. I mean, they've been waiting for their child to come, and there was just no way it was going to happen. Then Sarah became pregnant. Why, was, why did it take so long? Was God playing a trick on them? No. I suggest maybe it had to be impossible. 
because that which would be of God, that which is by God's grace, it is humanly impossible. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so Sarah represents this, this free gift this, this supernatural gift from God. And so then it says, I'm going to read it just in its context, verse 27. Now, I'm gonna, I usually skip verse 27 because if I get into verse 27, it'll take me a whole other hour. That's a quote from Isaiah 54, which comes right after Isaiah 53. So Isaiah 53 is about how Jesus died on the cross. It's the famous chapter where it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. So guess what comes in chapter 54? What comes after Jesus' death and resurrection? The new covenant. So Isaiah 54 is a prophecy about the new covenant and about, so I'm not going to go there. That would take too long. So I'm going to drop down to verse 28. And you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. He's saying you who are believers. You who came to faith in Jesus Christ, you are children of the promise. You are of the gospel. Sarah is your mother. You see what had happened in Galatia was that Paul had come there and preached the gospel and they were so happy. We read that it was like they could, it was almost like they thought that Jesus had been crucified in Galatia. You know, it says they saw him. They saw him before them. It was like... Ooh, they receive this, that Christ died for our sins. Christ is risen. We have a new life. They, they, they just ate it up. And then Paul says, what happened to you? Well, what had happened was certain self-proclaimed anointed teachers had come, self-anointed, had come to Galatia. And they probably said something like this, well... It's really wonderful what the Lord has done for you in Galatia. And of course, you have taken the first steps now of this uh, faith and you believe in Jesus. And they said, well, we believe in Jesus too. And Jesus is important. And, but very quickly when they would have said, but there's more. There's more. There's more than Jesus. I mean, I mean Jesus is a start. But then you have Special Sabbaths, festivals, circumcision, and they sort of line it up one by one, and they really focus on the circumcision issue. And, and Paul says, uh, it's, like, it's like a stealth operation, he says. They've snuck in and they're checking if you're circumcised. And I don't even want to think how they did that. Peeping Toms or something. I don't know what, how they were checking out whether people were circumcised. It's, it's amazing how ugly religion can become. And so this had happened. And so, so, so Paul is saying, so I want you to know that you're children of the promise. What well, they brought, these other teachers who came in, who tried to tell you that you needed more. If you really want to have the anointing, you need more. Does that sound familiar maybe to you? You know, Jesus is a beginning, but then you need certain techniques and certain, uh, certain formulas and certain rituals that you must also follow in addition to these. And Paul explains that to the Colossians, same thing. He says, those things, these rituals, they were just shadows of things to come. And that which was to come has now come. So we are no longer concerned about the shadows because that which was to come has now come. And so Christ has come. He's here. And, and, and so he says, you are not children of religion, of Hagar. You're the children of Sarah. You're from the Jerusalem that is above. That's where you're from. And, and then he goes on to say, 
Verse 29, but as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that was Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. So he's saying, you remember that Hagar and, 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 and Ishmael, they didn't like Sarah and, and Isaac. And he said, that's the way it is today. Religion persecutes the gospel. We've, we have a history of that. You know, people even say when we are teaching so strongly and so powerful uh, of this Christ finished work, Christ in you, they say, ah, all, all they can talk about is Christ as if that was everything. Well, we'll give you more. They lay laugh at it. We'll get more back to that. Verse 30, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. This is symbolic. We're not throwing any people around in the building. All right? Cast out the bond. It means cast out the slavery of religion and what is produced. It produced something. It produced a son here. But, but, but you've got to cast that out. As again, I say, God loved Ishmael and Hagar provided for them. It's nothing personal. It's a symbolic lesson. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. Religion, with all of its efforts and all of its rituals, will never satisfy the human soul. It will never bring the blessing. That's why I'm saying we need a gospel revolution. We're going back to the gospel, to the, uh, to the better and the new covenant. And then it says, so then, brethren, we are not of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. He keeps repeating it here. We don't belong to that. These guys who came in, they tried to kind of make, make you have two mothers. You, you, you know, you could have grace as your mother, and then you're going to have religion religion as well. You're going to have Jesus and then you're going to have your self-effort. But he said, that's not the way it is. You are the children of Sarah. You are the children of the free woman. You are the children of God's grace. That's the whole context. Let, let's just, uh, I'm going to keep reading and hopefully I get to expound on it a little bit. Let's go to, um, in Genesis 21, you have the Genesis story that Paul is using for his teaching here. So let's go back and just, you know, double reference that to see what we find out. And it says there, and you'll notice that same storyline, Genesis 21, I start in verse 8. The child, meaning Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. <laughs> so so uh, weaned means that Isaac no longer ate from his mother's breast. You know, in those days, children drank from their mother's breast till, till a little older than nowadays. They could be three, four, five-year-olds still drinking from their mother's breast. And, and so finally, when the day came, when Isaac was no longer drinking from Sarah's breast, he says, I want to have a celebration. I'm so happy that we got that part of our life over with. Let's celebrate now. You say, well, why do you make such a big point of that? Because there's a spiritual truth in that. What does that mean to us? Well, keep your finger there in Genesis 21, but go to Hebrews. Let me see if I can find it. Hebrews chapter uh, 5 here. Uh, let, me, let me get it myself. Hebrews chapter 5, and it's verse 12, if I remember right. Here, here it is. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. 
and you have come to need milk and not solid food. We're talking about milk, drinking milk versus solid food. For everyone who partakes only on milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He is an infant. He's an infant. So up to that point, allegorically speaking, Isaac had only been partaken of milk. But the day he was weaned, then he began to eat solid food. To us, that means, what is the solid food? According to Hebrews 5.13, solid food is the word of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Whenever it says that it's never your righteousness or mine, it is Christ's righteousness credited to us. Christ's righteousness, that's the solid food. And so I would say, the day that you as a believer go to solid food is the day when you recognize really Christ is my righteousness. It's the day you begin to rest in what Christ has done. The day you begin to rejoice that he is your life, he is your peace and you cease from your own struggles of trying to make yourself acceptable to God and realize you already are acceptable to God. That means that's the day you receive the gospel and Isaac said, well I'm going to celebrate. The boy is off the mother's breast and I tell you in every Christian's life, there's a celebration. You can have a little party to yourself when you recognize that I'm resting in Christ. I'm going on to the solid food. I'm going to trust that he is my righteousness. What he has done is sufficient. That's the day that things start moving in your life. That's the day when things start to get done. You would have thought that once you start resting in Christ, maybe you become lazy and sloppy and nothing matters. It's okay. No, no. It has the opposite effect. It makes you energetic. It makes you go forward. It makes you, you say, we got to move because Christ is in me. You begin to believe who you really are. And so there was a feast. Let's keep reading here. I'm just kind of reading and talking. Verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking, mocking. So Sarah was watching. And they were, <laughs> they're mocking, laughing. Look at, look at Sarah. Look at Isaac. She's too old. She doesn't know how to raise a child. Hagar said, I, I know how to do it. Look at my strapping boy. Sarah doesn't know. Isaac is so small. They're laughing. Therefore, she said to Abram, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of his, this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. So, so, now remember what it said in Galatians? So it is still today. I said, I'm coming back to that. So it is still today. Some people, when they hear the message of God's grace, they become suspicious. They say, oh, this must be a cover up for sin. Oh, these are people, the ones who preach God's grace. They don't want to live holy. Oh, that's what it is. Oh, run away from that teaching. And they don't know what Romans chapter 6 says, that, that sin shall no longer have dominion over us because we are not under the law, but under grace. That means it, when you're under the law, sin still has dominion on you. You may cover it up. You may pretend it's not happening. You may feel an urge to act like you're very holy and doing things so right, especially when you meet your pastor. But inwardly, it's not like that. When God's grace takes over in your life, you don't have to pretend. 
And so there is this tendency, oh, you know, of course we need the elementary about Jesus Christ. That's just the beginning. No, that's not the beginning. It says that John the Apostle says in chapter 2 of his first epistle, he says that the children, those who are just beginning in the faith, they know the Father. And he says those who are a little bit younger, grown a little bit, the young people, they have overcome the devil. They know about that. But he says the mature ones, they know him who was from the beginning, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, yes, he's there at the beginning. He's the door. But he's also the apex of maturity to grow in him. That's for the spiritual fathers and mothers. So don't think that Jesus is kind of a grade one and then other things come as you go up to grade five, six, seven, eight, nine, on to so-called spiritual university. No, no, the fullness, all the fullness of God is in him. And of his fullness, we have all received, not some of us. Some preachers will say to you, oh, some of us have received. If you could get my anointing, the one I have, I said, keep your own anointing. I don't want it. Because I have Christ. Of his fullness, we have all received. Not a few of us. Oh, that's so wonderful. Let's keep reading just one more verse here, and then I'm going to wrap that up. And then, now I've just been reading the Bible. And now I'm going to preach it. So hold on. You may want to turn me off. You may want to leave the room because it's going to get uh, strong now. It's going to get uh, too much for you maybe. I gave you due warning, so don't blame me. If it happens, I'm just warning you. This is going to get strong. But let's finish the reading. It says, The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad or, and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, Listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And so, you know, Abraham was a good daddy. He says, well, I have this son with Hagar, and I have this son with Sarah, and I want to take care of them both. And that's a, that's a good characteristic. We can all agree that Abraham was right there. But Paul is not addressing that. He's using this as an illustration of a spiritual truth. And so we know that God took care of Hagar and Ishmael, as I've said now several times, is that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But, but here in this context, it says, listen to Sarah. Well, who is Sarah? The new covenant. She's the gospel of God's grace. Listen to what grace tells you. And uh, I mean, God's grace, not someone called grace. Sarah, picture of God's grace. And he, she says, cast out the bondwoman. Cast out the Christless religion. Cast out this self-effort religious treadmill where you're always trying to please or supposedly displease God and you never quite measure up. Cast that out and cast out the son of the bond one, whatever that Christless religion has produced. Maybe it produced some nice songs and some nice prayers and some nice memories and some nice ceremonies. Let it go. Let it go. Because the promise of God the blessing of God is in Jesus Christ, the one that God has produced. We are the children of the promise. And so th this message is rather drastic. It is rather, I'm getting to the heavy part here now. We're going to stay there for a while. And this is rather um, vivid, isn't it? It says, cast out the bondwoman. I say, cast out religion. Don't have one foot in um, Christless religion full of rituals and rules and one foot in the gospel, cast out the old religion. 
throw it out. Get it out. So, so, so let's do a little research here now. First of all, for you who are pastors and leaders, cast out Hagar, cast out Christless religion out of your sermons. You know, when the Lord is now about uh, 20 years coming up very close, I had been a preacher, and I, I'm not boasting, except just telling the truth, I'd been pretty successful. I preached largest churches in the world. I preached the largest gospel campaign. I think only the Pope has had a larger crowd in Europe than what we had in Bulgaria. I mean, I was kind of seasoned. I've been at it for a while. And you say, how long have you been going? I'm not even telling you. But, but even then, I'd done a lot of things. So when God began to reveal his grace to me, and, and, and the Lord said to me so lovingly, you don't know me as well as you think you do. But if you're willing, I can show you more. And with tears streaming down my face, I said, I'm willing. And he began to show me. And then into the process, it took several months. And I was studying, I was reading Romans and Philippians and Galatians and Ephesians. I wanted to catch the revelation of Jesus that the apostle Paul had. And I realized how the apostle Paul said that he had received this assignment to reveal Christ. He, even, he, he had to even instruct the other apostles. It's amazing, isn't it? Paul had to go to Jerusalem. It's, it's recorded in the book of Galatians. And to instruct the other apostles those who had actually physically walked with Jesus, he had to instruct them. And he says that when he was finished instructing them, they had nothing to add. So it wasn't like John or James or Peter said, well, Paul, you're missing a few things here. They just said, you got it. You got the revelation. You, you got some things we didn't see. So this mystery that was hidden, Paul says it actually 40 times in his epistle, that these, this mystery that had been hidden had been revealed to him. So I was studying that. And so in that process... Just like Abraham became distressed, I became distressed. Because I looked at some of my sermons. I had binders of sermon notes, you know, I've been preaching for so many years. And the Lord began to show me. See, look at this sermon here. You have a lot of good material. But then here you add a little poison. Some little poison that was really to condemn people. And I remember Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. So I kind of felt like you had to kind of dry, tighten the screw. If you want to get people to give or do something, you had to kind of condemn and make them feel bad because I thought that's how it's going to get the response. And so the Lord began to say, well, I don't like this part right here. This was you adding this in. The rest is good. And so like Abraham, he became distressed. I became distressed. I remember some of the sermons the Lord said, well, uh, these ones you have to get rid of. So I had to get rid of them. I was ashamed. Some of, the, some of the albums I had produced, some of the most popular ones, because people like, you know, they like to get a religious beating where I was beating people up hour after hour. They were the ones that the Lord didn't like at all. So I became distressed. So I'm saying, uh, preachers, could it be that the Lord is speaking to you? Some of the little phrases that you have used that you say, think work so good. Is it really the gospel? Or are you just in a religious fervor, stirring something up? Are you really filtering through the New Testament? Are you filtering the Old Testament stories through Christ? Or are you just preaching them as if Christ hadn't come yet? Or are you looking at them through Christ? So, so one of the areas I had to cast out the bondwoman was out of preaching. Then prayer. Oh, Hagar likes to lead prayer meetings. And what does she pray about? 
Well, she prays about herself, of course. She says, oh, Lord, here I am. You know how much I've been burdened, Lord. And you know, Lord, I wish there were many more like me who would feel the burden of prayer like I do. But I'm here standing now in the gap and on and on and on. About herself, about herself. Praying about, you know, I say to people, don't ask God to do what he's already done through Christ. Don't ask God to do what he's empowered you to do. Now, some places, I'm sure, I don't want to mention any place because this is going all over the world. But you know, what people do when they have prayer meetings is they talk mostly to the devil. I thought at least in the basic prayer would be communication with God. But some places, if they have an hour prayer, I promise you 50 minutes, they talk to the devil. They kind of back up in a spiritual posture of fervor and they said, devil! back off and they start yelling at the devil it's just yelling 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 back off take your hands off I know what you're up to I'm not ignorant and then they and they finished with that they said oh hallelujah we broke through there and then then they start telling God what he should do after they told the devil what he should do, they say, God, move, send the fire, God, shake the city. And, and they talk to God for 10 minutes. They didn't get as much time as the devil. And, and then they, and they get exhausted after that hour. And they, I tell you, something happened in the spirit here. I believe, well, I believe something happened. Yeah, something happened. You got tired. That's what happened. You wore yourself out. And have you noticed, now don't turn me off, have you noticed the devil is not very responsive to your commands? Neither is God. That's why you have to do it every week. You have to go back to the same prayer meeting, except it's a week later now, and yell at the devil for another 50 minutes. And then tell God what he should do for another 50, 10 minutes. As if, as if God was the problem. God's not going to move. He's told us to move. He's told us to move. God's not going to do this. He's already sent Jesus. They said, God, send the fire, send healing, send, 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 send. You know, how about if we start to believe John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he sent. Some say he gave or he sent his only begotten son. In other words, believe in the one God sent. Instead of trying to suggest that God's going to send this or that, because when he sent Jesus, catch this, he sent everything that heaven had to offer. Some of us just say, I'm, I'm pulling down miracles from heaven. Well, I'm not. Because all the miracles God had to send from heaven, he sent when he sent Jesus. Everything is in Jesus Christ. We, 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 we draw people's attention in so many different areas. And so, you, you see, it becomes this self-centered work effort. And so, I say, cast that out. Cast out this self-effort religion. Cast it out. Because that's not where you're going to get the promise. No, prayer is, is something so beautiful. To me, prayer corrects me. I'm not telling God what to do in prayer. God tells me what to do. <laughs> what a novel thought that would be. So when I pray, sometimes maybe the, the, the contrary voices, the circumstances of life are pressed in on me. So my mind gets a little bit sidelined. I'm not thinking as I should, as straight as I should. So I begin to pray and I begin to say, I thank you, 
Heavenly Father, for your love. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you that I'm, I'm clothed in Jesus Christ. I have his righteousness. Thank you, Jesus Christ. I have your wisdom. I have your faith. Even when I can't believe like I wish I could, I have your faith. So I surrender my ability. I consider myself dead to my own ability, but I'm alive to Christ, his faith, his righteousness, his power. So when I start praying like that, I get strengthened. I feel like, okay, here we go. I can make it. Jesus Christ is with me. Instead of me telling God what he should do, he's saying to me, maybe directly or sometimes indirectly, Peter, you, you got a little sideline here. You forgot me. You got a little bit sidetracked. But you spent time in prayer. Now you see me again. How beautiful Christ is. How beautiful his love. How beautiful his provision. So prayer always strengthens me. I feel stronger. I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm bigger on the, on the inside than I am on the outside because of prayer. But and so you got to, this self-effort, like, you know, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one carrying the burden. I'm standing in the gap. No, no, no. It says that they sought for a man to stand in the gap, but they found none. You think we're better than those people living back then if the prophet found none back then? They're going to find none right now, but there was one who stood in the gap, Jesus Christ. That Old Testament scripture about standing in the gap, that was simply a, a, a longing for the Christ to come, to stand in the gap. And so now when we intercede, we intercede in the spirit. We're not standing in the gap like they did, like Moses did for the people. No, we have Christ and we pray for others. We pour out ourselves in prayer to others as the Spirit of God leads us. But our total, total reliance is on that God has already done what he's going to do. And what, what I do through prayer is I'm strengthening his wisdom to know my response, to take action. So, so uh, sometimes people are saying, talking about much their prayer and they look so miserable. I wonder what you're doing for prayer because prayer ought to strengthen you, not make you look gloomy and sad. And so cast Hagar out of that. Let me give you more. Worship. Oh, how much singing we do about ourselves. Here I am, Lord. I lift my hand. I lift my voice. Could you mention that to God? Maybe he didn't notice. Lord, I sing this song to you. I do this. You, you know, I have to teach them all over the world. Sometimes in our, in our campaigns, they're up there singing songs about, you know, the horse and rider fell into the sea and drowned. I said, why are you singing about that for? I said, these Muslim Buddhist friends don't even know what you're singing about. You're singing about some horse and rider fell into the sea. Is that supposed to make people happy? And there's not a word about Jesus in the song? Not a word? You know, and one of my favorite melodies is, you know, these are the days of Elijah, except it's not. So when I go to church and they sing that, I have to change the words. I don't sing these are the days of Ezekiel, no. Ezekiel is in heaven, he's gone. I sing these are the days of Jesus. His gospel is preached in the world. These are the days of the believers filled with the glory of God. Get out of that nostalgia. You, you have the anointing that Elijah and Ezekiel wished they had. And prayer, in case you forgot it, illuminates you to what you have. And so you're strengthened through prayer. Oh, I could talk about this for a long time. I have a whole teaching, four hours on prayer alone. That'll, that'll help you. You know, get Hagar out of the healing ministry. 
get the Christless religion out of the healing ministry. Some people conduct healing ministry and they think they are some kind of pseudo well, they think they are like spiritual psychiatrists, but they are not even pseudo-psychiatrists. They're just saying, well, you know, they, they, they're looking at people, well, the reason you're not healed is because, and they come up with something, I believe, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, there was a strife between your mother and the man who is your father, and there was grief, and, and, and they do all this. Did Jesus ever do that? Do you ever find Jesus saying, oh, you have a leprosy, but it's not really leprosy. You have this hurt in your life. And, 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 and then, you know, they pray for people and they say, well, you received now partial healing. Come back and you can get more, but you need to uproot this and uproot that. You know, the wonderful gospel is that Jesus heals in spite of our hindrances, in spite of it, you know, uh, I had a teaching one time, I was so proud of it almost because I had a teaching about 20 hindrances to healing, 20 hindrances. And I, and I thought I was helping the Lord by getting rid of people's hindrances. And, and uh, you say, why were you proud? Well, because I dug up so many hindrances in the scripture to healing. You know, others had written similar uh, writings and, and they only had 12 or 15 hindrances. I had 20, which proves that I was really a giant of research. So when the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, remember I told you how he began to correct my sermons? He said, I don't like this teaching. I don't like it. I said, Lord, I'm just uh, helping you. And, I, and suddenly I saw how proud I had been. I was going to teach 20 hindrances to healing and remove them? It's like, Jesus, I'm doing the heavy lifting here. I'm removing all the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the lack of faith and the, the disregard for the body of Christ. And I'm, I'm removing all the hindrances. And then Jesus, after I've cleaned up the mess, you can come and do a little healing. I, can, I just paved the way for you. How proud. And Jesus said to me, don't you know that everyone who I healed had a hindrance? That's why they needed me. And I thought, of course of all the thousands of people who have stood on the campaign platforms around the world who testified of healing, I'm sure every one of them had a hindrance. I could have found some unbelief, some bitterness, some fear, some negative thing that we could have said, that's your hindrance. But Jesus Christ is greater than our hindrances. <laughs> you see? So, so, oh, I hope you get it. Cast Hagar out. Cast Hagar out of the deliverance ministry. Out of, out of I don't have time to go into all of that. Out of evangelism. This kind of you need to evangelize. I call it, you got an evangelism demon monster sitting on your shoulder saying, preach the gospel because your blood is going to be required. Their blood is going to come out of your hands. Because I got to go. People are so miserable when they share the gospel that, that they make others miserable. They literally walk up to somebody's house and they pray, I hope they're not home. You know, but at least I've done my duty. I try to knock on the door. Stay at home. Stay at home. You know, sharing Christ should not, if it's such a misery that you need to be put under a guilt trip to do it, if you don't do it, you're going to burn or something. If you need to be put on a guilt trip like that, please stay home and, and watch Leave It to Beaver. Well, uh, nobody knows what that is anymore, but watch something. Do something, preferably pray. Talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, what's wrong with me? And he'll help you to discover the gospel. So, so what we do, we don't do out of compulsion. You get Hagar out of the offering. Oh, 
Hagar is good at raising money, I tell you. She really condemns people. She says, I'm an apostle of finance, and I'm about to release this, and if you're not giving now, she says, if you don't give in this offering, your car is going to be smashed up. Your motorcycle is going to break down. Don't you blame me if the food in your refrigerator rots, because if you don't give to, if you don't pay to God now, you pay now or pay later. You can start condemning people by giving offerings until they say, okay, okay, I'm writing a check. Okay, 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 don't bug me anymore. I'm going to, don't, don't do like that. Don't, uh, that, that's, uh, that's Hagar. You see, on the day of Pentecost, how did they receive the offering? I mean, they didn't even tithe on the day of Pentecost, which is 10%. They gave everything they had. Please don't do that today. Pastor Nathan is going to take an offering, but don't do that later on today because we want you to have enough to pay your bill to receive our sending next week as well, you know. Uh, but they gave everything they had. We, we're not asking that. Why did they do it? Was it because the apostle said, if you don't give everything you have, you're not going to be a part of this? Ble-? No, no, there was no threat. There was no intimidation. They were just overwhelmed by God's grace. They said, we want to be a part of this. This is wonderful. Spirit of God is poured out on all kinds of people, all kinds of nationalities. We hear them speak about the mighty works of God in their own language. This is just awesome. This is God's grace. This is unmerited favor. And so they gave out of that. You know, it's scary. It was scary for me because I said, Lord, you know, I've been a good steward of all the money you give to our ministry. I think I'm one of the best in the world as far as using money. And I, I, I actually thought that. I actually still think that. You, you may disagree, but we're good stewards. And so, because the Lord was telling me, look, sometimes when you've taken an offering, you make people feel guilty. They give out of a guilt trip. Yeah, but I said, Lord, I use the money so good, you know. I'm, I'm one of your best stewards. I really do big things for the gospel. Aren't you happy with that? Well, he's happy with that. But he said, I'm not happy with that. I said, God, what if they don't give as much? What if our income goes down? I felt like I needed to, because that's what I heard all the other preachers doing. And so the Lord said, well, my love and my grace can produce more finances than any effort of your own. So I had to say, Hagar, bye-bye. Oh, I ask for money. I teach about finances. But you never hear me say, if you don't give this, this is your last opportunity. This anointing is going to go from you. I never say, if you don't give now, then God's going to curse you. None of that stuff. In 20 years, and even before that, I wasn't really saying it. I I let others in my meeting say it, however, but I don't let that happen anymore. And, And so I had to cast Hagar out. So we make a choice. Oh, we make a choice. And in the next session, which will be the final in this series, all I want to do is take questions and answers. I want to hear. You know, when I do a seminar somewhere in Africa, in Asia, in India, Indonesia, in Europe, Russia, wherever, and I say to people, give, give me the questions. There were things I didn't develop as much as I could or, or, or I just get covered it quickly because, you know, I only have so much time and we only have even these sessions together. It's about four or five hours. So ask me some questions and I will spend the whole session next time. Session number six will be just answering your questions that you may have got from this. But I'm saying today, make the choice. Go all the way with the gospel of God's grace. Go with Sarah, whatever God's grace, whatever Sarah says, do it. Because in the gospel, in the grace of God, That's where you have your inheritance. God bless you.